Hello, everyone, and welcome to Just Dow It, the podcast for people starting DAOs. I'm Adam Miller, and I'm your host. Uh, I am the CEO of MyDAO, which provides legal entity solutions for DAOs and Web3 broadly. And prior to starting MyDAO, I did consulting for people starting and operating DAOs. We are recording live again, which is exciting. I'm sure something will go wrong, and that's okay. And we'll publish this to our podcast feed later today as well. Uh, as always, the first half of the of the episode will be our news report, where Daniel and I will dig into recent DAO news. And the second half will go into a more a classic interview with Daniel. While we're going through the news, we will also talk about what's relevant to our topic today, with which, with Daniel, what I'm really excited to talk about is how things are going with DAOs and why we should not give up on a more democratic future for organizations. Um, Daniel, do you want to give a brief introduction to yourself and what makes you an authority on DAOs? Uh, sure. Thank you for thank you for having me. So, um, Daniel Espina, I'm the I'm an instigator at our R and DAO. We are a research led venture builder, so we run a whole series of research projects on different areas of human collaboration and future of work. Uh, before that, I was head of governance at Aragon, and before that, I have a career in organization design and also future of work stuff for about the last decade, uh, passing through giving workshops to executives in Oxford University about system design and so on, consulting for Google, BCG, Daimler, the UN, and so on. Um, and then I had an early career as a chef, but that's probably a story for another time. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I remember you've spoken in the past about how you apply some of the lessons you learned running kitchens to um, running and, and leading organizations, including DAOs. Um, yeah, really excited to have Daniel on the show because he really is an OG. Um, you know, I've been involved in DAOs longer than probably 99.9% .9 of people. After all, 90% of people probably haven't heard of DAOs in the first place. But Daniel's been involved longer than I have and was part of Aragon in the very early days of DAOs. Uh, when there were probably 10 or 100 DAOs in existence when you guys started working on what you did. So really excited to have you on the show. And I think, Daniel, you and I are both fairly optimistic about DAOs, if not extremely optimistic about the prospect for how DAOs can increase uh, decentralization, democratization. Maybe there's other D words involved in, in DAOs. Maybe before we get into the news, do you want to just touch on that for a second? Would you agree that are you as optimistic as I am? Uh, yeah, very much so. I mean, less there is a lot of challenges to overcome, but the the overall macro trend uh, for me is very clear, and I'm happy to go later on into detail into why I think that. Yep, awesome. Okay, and I think it'll come up as we go through the news stories as well. All right, so uh, the Just Dow It News Report. I will summarize each of these stories for the audience and for Daniel, and then we will dig into what they mean for people starting DAOs and if we agree or disagree with the authors and in particular, we'll connect it to today's topic. So the first article is uh, called Cybernetic Organizations, Borgs, are doomed to fail. This is from Cointelegraph. The subheader is cybernetic organizations automate decision-making so that DAO actions can be taken without proposals, implementing law through code. So I'm going to share just a couple reactions. First of all, I don't think we should call anything uh, Borgs or else people will be rightfully afraid of the outcomes. Um, if anyone has not heard of the Borg, it's like the biggest enemy in the history mm -hmm. of Star Trek. And it's a it's a fully you know automated kind of semi mechanical semi biological race that uh, tries to take over the whole universe. So 
um, aside from not being a great name for these organizations, um, I think, so, so to me, this idea of a fully automated organization definitely takes DAO to the next level in a sense and says, well, instead of having decentralized human decision-making, let's just remove human decision-making and fully automate the decision-making. Now, I think this will have some cool use cases down the road. For example, imagine a self-driving car that owns itself and pays for its own, you know, recharging and maintenance and hires a driver to drive it, right? Or a whole fleet of self-driving cars. I do think in the future, we will have even like a forest that owns itself and govern and, and, and pays for its, again, its own maintenance and, um, you know, takes fees from people who want to visit the forest. And I think this, this will be cool eventually, but I don't think it really replaces DAOs. I, I don't see it as like a next level of human decision-making to just completely take humans out of the loop. I see it as just something different that we're not quite ready for yet, but I don't know. What do you think, Daniel? Yeah. So maybe one thing in, well, the, the term is kind of funny because he's bringing back uh, the whole cybernetics thing back from the, from the seventies, which has been one of my favorite methodologies and frame of thinking and so on. And now it's kind of reincarnating and resurfacing. Um, sometimes in a slightly misguided way, like as you're saying, I also think the name is, is terrible, but the, what I think the, the Borg can sometimes uh, fail to, to grasp is the, the tremendous desire that humans have for autonomy, for having choice. And at the same time, like governance is work. If you ask me to make a lot of decisions I don't want to make, that's not choice. That's rather an imposition on me, and I'm not going to like that. And if someone can take that away, I'm happy for it. Uh, if someone can take away my admin work, I'm super happy for that. I don't want to decide if something should be pale blue or dark blue for the color of the toilet. It's I don't care. Maybe someone else cares, but I don't. So the, this idea of removing choice that we don't want makes a lot of sense. But there are a lot of choices that we actually want to make. And it's not only about the benefits of making the choice. Like even if an AI could perfectly understand what's right for me, that would feel tremendously disempowering and most likely by or psychological construct, we just wouldn't like it unless the AI is putting us in some sort of matrix where we think we're making decisions there and we're living our own there. Right? But, um, but so I do imagine there are a bunch of sections of decision-making that can be automated. Uh, but again, humans like to make decisions. It's also enjoyable. It's, or it's a way to express our identity, to express our choices, to to interact with the world, to feel that we are alive and so on. Uh, and I don't think that's going, that's going away. So it's sometimes we can dehumanize uh, a little bit too much DAOs and by that failing to understand that belonging, that making choices that a lot of the things that we're doing have an, a, a, a small aspect, but yet very important of existing for it their own sake, because we actually mm -hmm. like doing those things. And if it's not there, we'll find it somewhere else. Yeah. By the way, we have a comment from Joshua Hale, one of my favorite crypto lawyers. Uh, he says the toilet should always be periwinkle. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we can automate that pretty easily then, Josh, going forward. All right. Moving on to the next story. This one is from Coindesk. And the headline is, this free to mint soulbound NFT tracks your Web3 work history. Digital community platform Coordinate is rolling out CoSoul, which allows users to create a digital resume on chain. First of all, if anyone has not heard of Coordinate, definitely recommend checking it out. They're very well known for some of their early work in building uh, 
social systems uh, to help DAOs run their business, such as a system that allows you to vote on who contributed the most uh, recently and then give the most rewards automatically to, to those people. Um, now they're releasing this new tool, a soulbound NFT. If anyone doesn't know what that is, that's an NFT that sticks with you. You can't sell it. You can't trade it. So the point of it is to kind of act like an identity. Um, and in this case, it's an identity that tracks your contributions to the DAOs or other Web3 projects you're involved in. Um, you know, this is an idea I've heard thrown around a lot that if we're doing all of our work kind of on chain through DAOs, why not also track all of that work in an immutable, you know, trustless way so that when that same person goes to another DAO in the future, it says, hey, I want to contribute to this project. Here's my resume, right? And instead of sending a paper resume that then you have to trust, you're, you're sending or you're simply showing or, or offering for validation your soulbound NFT from Coordinate or whoever that that has a, that history of of the work that you've done and the success that you've had. Um, so certainly seems like a, a cool idea. You know, I, I have wondered when it comes to things like this, you know, just how we will police, you know. The, the trust factor, like how do you know people aren't going to fake the work they've done in the past? Or is this really, you know, taking us to another level of trustlessness compared to traditional resumes? Or is it maybe just, you know, a little bit of extra work for not much reward? So I would be curious to hear what you think about that, Daniel. Yeah. So, well, first, congratulations to the to the coordinate team. I know them for a couple of years and I, I really appreciate the, the influence and values they bring to the space. So well done, guys, for for launching that. Um, I believe directionally is is very interesting and moving to this idea of attestations. Uh, I'm a big believer in the power of transparency. Uh, obviously, transparency comes with its risks, but this, this ability of being able to prove the work we have done and take that with us, uh, I think can solve a lot of trust issues. And once we solve trust issues, we can also become a little bit more inclusive uh, outside the traditional cookie cutter interviews, corporate recruitment type. Now, that that being said, and this is a conversation I've been having with them in case they're listening, maybe wink, wink, mm -hmm. let's continue this. Um, but I believe these things come really value, become really valuable is when we can integrate it together with trust graphs and other data sources. Uh, like I see Coordinate as a valuable tool, but potentially more part of a broader compensation stack uh, that also needs to be integrated with understanding what is the position that someone has within the social network, because the data outside context means a lot less. Uh, you know, full disclaimer, we have one venture in Arendau that is focusing on uh, community analytics and we map the social network. But so what I think can be interesting is combining these sort of technologies that understand the, the piece of work that someone has done, like in a coordinate circle or as a bounty or something like that, with the relational data so you can map that out. And then because as you start to map the social network, there is also an overlap between DAOs, you can start to kind of create bridges of trust. And now this DAO is very closely related with this because there is like 10, 20% of people who overlap and something, and if you trust this other DAO, then and they trust these people, then you might trust somewhat yeah. here. So it's a proxy, and right, and through these bridges, there is also a Bright ID who's been doing work in using social graphs for very uh, to verify identity for a while and so on. And I've been very influenced by this direction. I think if we can combine these things, we start to get to somewhere that is much better. But that is really about collaboration, and there is a bunch of different projects 
attacking this from different angles. And I feel we're really missing a key piece by, by not collaborating more and more mm. thinking, can we build share infrastructure together rather than mm. each of us trying to build the whole thing on our own and it being good, but not great. That's, that's a good point, because to me, these kind of like trust graphs or trust networks are a core value proposition of blockchain. Um, and they can apply to so many different situations. You know, I like to think about the problem of misinformation and disinformation and just how hard it is to know what information to trust online and how that's going to get even worse if it's not already worse because of AI producing, you know, trustworthy sounding articles all over the Internet that you have no idea you know, are totally made up. Um, and I think the way to solve that also is through these like trust networks where if I'm looking at an article and that article has been, let's say, signed by someone with a soul bound NFT that says this person writes trustworthy articles. And then I can look at the trust graph and see that whoever issued that NFT or all of the attestations connected to it come from people that are also trusted by the network. And then maybe people I trust have attested that they trust those other people who attested that piece of information. Um, so whether it's about DAOs or it's about information or probably other things too, you know, like a lot of people say, why, like, why is blockchain really trustless? I mean, you still have to trust the person you're sending your Bitcoin to that they're going to send you the product back. And I think when people usually say trustless, what they're talking about is just sending the Bitcoin, right? Like the fact that once the Bitcoin shows up in your wallet, you know you have it. You don't have to trust that the person's going to like claw back the Bitcoin. But this is that next level of trust where if you could also trust the other side of the transaction because of these attestations and soulbound NFTs and the web of trust, um, that, that's how we get to more of a truly trustless world. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, like trustless in the sense that it's built by trust, which... Completes the good point. Yeah. Maybe trustful would be a better word for where we're going, right? I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Awesome. The next article is from Hacker Noon. And the headline is LampDAO, a, a cybernetic experiment in collective governance. So um, this is kind of a funny one. It, it's a, a mimetic inspired cybernetics demonstration and a living art installation and a research and development project for DAOs. So what they've done is they have built a lamp. This lamp is connected to the internet. And the uh, I think the brightness and the hue of the lamp will be controlled by a DAO. Now, at first glance, this sounds kind of ridiculous, right? Like, why do we need to control a lamp collectively through a complex governance process? But what they're doing here is experimenting. And I want to call to attention the importance of doing experiments like this, especially when we look at the history of cypherpunk. And I think you mentioned this earlier, Daniel, but going back to the 80s and 90s, people were doing these types of social experiments with the original crypto, which was cryptography, right? Before cryptocurrencies um, were possible and made possible, you know, in the mid to late uh, 2000s. Um, there was this technology of cryptography that's now built into every computer and every browser and every internet connection that at the time uh, was new. And, and the fact that you could actually, even on paper, uh, uh, encrypt a message, send it to someone, and then only that person could read that message was like mind-blowing and, and radically transformative. And these cypherpunks knew it. And so they, they played around with art with community, with social structures. 
I think they had a lot of parties. They were just like, this thing is so cool. Let's experiment with it. And now 20, 30 years later, it, it makes up the central core of technology of the internet. And I think what we're doing with DAOs today can be seen as similar. You know, a lot of DAOs are actually already controlling very serious things, right? Like there's probably 10 to 100,000 DAOs that they're projects. They're trying to accomplish something. They're not just experimenting. But at the same time, they are experiments. And the things that we're playing with now, whether it's controlling a million dollars or controlling a lamp, these things are going to make their way into the future technological and even social substrate of the future of organizations. Um, so I think it's it's really exciting. Uh, anything to react to there, Daniel? Yeah, so I, I was uh, actually I have the article open in my phone. I was going to read it, run out of time and, and having been able to check it out. But uh, there was something that really appealed to the about the concept to me is that we have we have gone through a couple of generations of DAOs that are somewhat predictably following the evolution of human governance to, to some degree. And I mean, uh, I'm butchering it here, but we, we had a first generation that was doing direct democracy and just everyone voted directly. Now we have a second generation that's doing representative democracy. And we know predictably that both of those, both of those modes of governance are not good. Uh, like delegation is one of my pet peeves at the moment because there is so much obsession for it and so much tools being built. And it's like, guys, really, we've been through this path before. We know that senates and corporate boards are not the way we should be governing, uh, yet we're rebuilding that to some stage. But coming back to the article, what I think is really great is that the, the reason we kind of went into this uh, transition from direct government governance to representative governance was in very large part because making really big decisions, uh, sorry, making too many decisions with a very big group of people is inefficient. Like, why do you need so many people involved for only one decision? Means you can only make very few decisions at a time. And, they, and, you know, maybe I'm taking a completely different direction than the article, but the idea of a lamp being turned on or off is a fantastic example of a really banal yet important and frequent decision. If the lamp is on when you're trying to sleep, it would be a major pain in the ass. Yeah. But, uh, but it's a super operational decision. So can we push these to extreme? And is there some way that we can imagine that actually a collective can govern these? So, so do we do it through delegation? Do we do it through automation? Do we do it through... And all the problems of human organizing can come around with as simple an experiment. So I think it's really cool that we create these sort of intellectual playgrounds to go a little bit outside the box uh, and see if we can come up with better solutions than just repeating history. Let's dig in a little bit more to the important topic that you brought up of the future of democratic systems, if that's a fair way to put it, you know, saying that we started with direct democracy when democracy was invented and then quickly moved to a more representative democracy with the Senate. And now we've had a number of models of democracy that are some combination of, of the two, you know, maybe sometimes, you know, in California, in the United States, you can actually have a, a, the, everyone vote on a new law and it goes into effect um, but then most of the decisions in most most democratic nations are actually made by representative governments, including in California, whether it's a Senate, a Congress, a parliament or some combination or something in between. So if you're saying that both of those systems clearly don't work, which I think you are, um, well, maybe first of all, if we could just I mean, how are you so convinced that they don't work as opposed to just maybe they're hard and like sometimes they're good and sometimes they're bad. But then also, what do you have a solution in mind already for where to go next? 
Yeah. So, well, I mean, they work, right? Like they are operating. That's how we, we're all alive in good part, thanks to these uh, these institutions that are governing us uh, and to some small degree, we're governing them. Uh, that being said, there are a lot of the issues that they suffer from voter apathy, like people feeling disempowered and so on, corruption, clientelism, lobbying, all of these things already exist in DAOs. If you go and look at some of the DAOs that are using these models, very predictably, those patterns are already alive. Um, and myself experienced some of those frustrations on a regular basis. So we have found that people tend to delegate their vote once, but they don't re-delegate. So you actually end up mm. stuck quite often with a bunch of influencers. And the issue with representatives is that they are representative in theory, but in practice, they end up in a very different position than the majority of the people. So that can be because either they are wealthy and influential, and hence they don't need to work, so they can afford to do it for free, while the majority of the people are not in that position. Or on the other side, they are being paid, and they're working full time and so on, and they end up with a very different set of incentives that people that are not being paid, and instead of that, are trying to get a, a product or a return on investment, or right, like depending on what stakeholder group they are, they'll have different incentives. So you end up with what is the classic principal agent problem. That is, the, the person that you're delegating, your agent that you're delegating to, is not yourself. And there is always going to be a gap there. And if they're visible, like delegates tend to be, then it's really easy to lobby them, to bribe them, or otherwise to find some way to capture the organization uh, for this elite to take advantage of their position. And we have in corporate governance, again, corporate governance is shareholders. We could call them token holders, delegating to a board of somewhat elected representatives, the directors, who then appoint a CEO. And I, already, I was already hearing someone saying of, oh, what if the most voted delegate should be like the chairman of delegate? Like, fantastic. We reinvented corporate governance. So <laughs> all of these trouble to end up in the same place. And that's kind of frustrating. But, but there is also very fundamental principles that lead that to more or less work in many situations but it's far from perfect. And we're trying to move forward, not, not backwards, right? So when we speak with the, the people who have been thinking about this problem for decades, just obsessing about it, and, and one of my, my issues with Web3 is that very often we don't do enough research, so we end up reinventing the wheel and not mm. speaking with other people who have dedicated their lives to solve the same problem we're trying to solve. Uh, and, and so if you go and speak with democracy researchers, and there is a bunch of them in the world, they go like, oh, you know what? I'm super excited about sortition and citizen assemblies. And, and this is not even theory. This is a pattern that for those that are not familiar, you can imagine a sort of American jury, where, like mm -hmm. in the movies, where there is a group of citizens who are elected at random, like selected at random to be the jury. They're not experts in law. They're not experts in criminal law. They're not, uh, they're not the detectives who go and find all the clues. They're a jury. And this jury then is pitched by a couple of experts, the lawyers that, that, that give them a lot of arguments and a lot of evidence in favor and against and so on. And then the jury goes into a private room, they discuss between them, and they come up with a decision. And mm. the same pattern of decision making is being used to decide on climate policy in France, to define uh, legislation in the European Union. 
And there are dozens of these citizen assemblies and the, the results are extremely positive. And when you compare the cost of hmm. maintaining a parliament and all the lobbying, campaigning, all the resources that go into that versus the cost of citizen assemblies, they are effective. The issue hmm. is then if you look at the cost of citizen assemblies outside of context, you go, oh, it's kind of expensive to, to get yeah. some people because also you're paying the people. And here is the thing is you select these citizens, you give them not a lot of money, but a little bit. So they are fully focused during this time. They're out of work. Instead of that, they are representing their peers. But you, but it's only at limited situations. So their incentives is very soon you're going to go back and continue being a citizen and you want to be representative to yourself. And they can handle very complex positions. Facebook, hmm. uh, who is a terrible company, and then ended up, however, being forced to create some sort of advisory board uh, and then what they were realizing is that decisions like how do we moderate Facebook is a decision that CEOs don't want to make because their ass is on the line. They, they're business people. They're not politicians. They have very little to gain for this. And they're really complex decisions where getting legitimacy is very, very hard. And here is where these sort of like citizen bodies can actually achieve very successful decisions in terms of finding viable good compromises in complex cases, despite the fact that they're not experts in the topic. Like climate policy is not a simple topic, yet these people are proposing things that most, mo a lot, even a lot of the experts go like, wow, that's fantastic. I didn't think about it because experts tend to get a little bit locked in their mindset. So yeah. getting new, but then the expert pass them all the information and so on. And it's a democratic process. So now, we're, for example, we're uh, pitching Cosmos to do a citizen assembly for them, for the Atom Atom Hub community. And we're wow. hoping we can bring this technology to other places and over time start to automate parts of it with AI and so on. Um, and this is only one of other patterns that are out there. You know, I, I can talk about governance for a very long time. Uh, so let me know if we well, can. This, <laughs> this is our... <laughs> <laughs> this is already a really interesting one. And honestly, it's news to me. Um, and I mean, obviously, I'm familiar with juries, but I never thought about applying that model, that type of model specifically to a DAO or to, to an organization. Um, but my initial reaction is that it sounds like it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I've heard maybe similar-ish idea was also if you really wanted to have a representative group of people like a Senate, you could also choose them randomly. Um, rather than having them be elected. And then they actually, statistically speaking, right, mathematically, you would expect them to be more representative of the general viewpoints of the population than a group of people that's selected based on a popularity contest and wealth and whatever other reasons people might vote one way or another. Um, that's really interesting. So you said it's called, just for everyone's uh, sake, citizen assembly, or was there another word for it, sortition? Um, well, sortition, that means selected sortition. at random. But but the key oh. is the, the combination of the random selection and deliberation. And, and that is, is yeah. structured deliberation. Like throw 10 people who don't know each other into a room and ask them to make a really hard decision, they're going to hate each other. They're going to end up arguing it's not going to be effective. But yep. putting a, an experienced facilitator who, who can guide the conversation. Like a judge. Well, like, exactly. Mm -hmm. Like a judge. Precisely. Like the pattern is there. Wow. And it's like a timeless, time-tested pattern for the most mm -hmm. difficult decisions that we need to make in ambiguity, in uncertainty. Like, should this person be put in jail for life? Should they be even killed? Yeah. Because they yeah. killed, like, like those are like insanely hard decisions to make. And this is the pattern that we're using for this, which also means 
that this is not the pattern that we should use to decide whether the lamp goes on or off. <laughs> yeah, right. There's a mechanism for that and finding the right balance in the two. Anyway, and, and, and so there are yep. other, other things that we can bring into the mix. Um, cool. Maybe going okay. to the, the broader theory around DAOs is that we, we start organizations because we cannot satisfy our needs alone. So users want to use a product, investors want return on investment, workers want to get paid, and make a living, right? And none of these people are able to do this in isolation. So, so we come yep. together. Uh, but that also means like essentially a well-functioning organization is one where these different stakeholders are happy and they have different needs. We tried with tokens at the earlier generations of DAOs. It's like, okay, in corporates, only shareholders decide and that's bad because then shareholders benefit and the others end up getting screwed at some point. So what mm -hmm. if we make everyone a shareholder? And it was a nice idea, a little bit, uh, naive now we discover in retrospect mm. because the contributors they sell their tokens quickly because they would need to pay rent and so on otherwise they wouldn't mm. be working for uh, for tokens or for uh, yep. money right the the users they are like oh cool but also over time they will eventually sell and very predictably mm. ends up the funds end up getting concentrated in the hands of a few or the contributors stop being contributors they move to the next job and guess what they are now they are investors technically Another shareholders. Exactly. They're shareholders. Yeah. So we need to actually embed these multi-stakeholder governance deeper than just giving people tokens, deeper than just airdrops, even though the airdrop might still have a role in the future, but, but not as we thought historically to decentralize. That's like, oh yeah, let me decentralize for six months and then go back to centralization. That's what happens. Uh, so the, the other pattern that I think is really key is if we're going to do sortition or something like this is let's realize that for pretty much every single organization, we don't have a single group of people, but we'll have multiple groups that need to be represented. And there is different ways to bring them together, but we mm. need to make sure that they're represented in, in an effective way and not just through a principal agent problem. Like if you have a representative of the users that we're going to pay, guess what? That's not a representative of the users. That's an employee. That's what mm. you made them. You're yeah. paying. <laughs> yeah, good point. You, right. So, so these yep. things are not super easy to crack. But, but I think if we can combine <laughs> these two patterns with some aspects of delegating a specific areas of responsibility to teams that then take care of it, the teams can make operational decisions like lamp goes on or off, equivalent in a DAO. Those sort of tactical, quick, simple problems can or complicated problems can be solved by teams, but the complex problems, the really hard stuff, defining the rules of the game, the policies, the ownership of the organization, do we issue more tokens or not? Do we raise investment? Do we choose vision A or vision B? Those really complex decisions, they can be made through the citizen assembly or sortition and deliberation with multiple stakeholders being represented. And that will create a lot, of, a lot more legitimacy and mm. also just allows you to process a lot of really difficult to process information and, and make mm. decisions that ultimately people are happy. And if they're happy, they're going to work, they're going to use the product, they're going to keep investing, and that benefits everyone. Wow. Wow. Really interesting. I'm curious. So, you know, if anyone wasn't already convinced, they should be convinced now that having experts in organizational design and organizational science should be brought into crypto and Web3 as much as possible. What's your experience with reaching out to folks from that space and telling them about Web3, telling them about DAOs? I mean, do they have the same average reaction as 
when you tell anyone about Web3 and crypto that, you know, probably 50 to 90% of people are kind of hesitant or resistant or they don't believe in it or they say, well, what we already have works fine. You know, corporations are already working on decentralizing decision making and, you know, pushing power back into the teams and innovation back into the teams. I mean, I, I've heard that type of reaction, for example, from from folks in, in the uh, you know management psychology world. Um, what, what kind of reactions do you hear from others uh, coming from that world? Um, is is kind of is kind of mixed. I think the the issue is that crypto has it. Well, it was first. First, there was crypto. Uh, let's say Web three and DAOs only exist multiple years later, and mm-hmm. and so we are in a if nothing else in a time disadvantage there for the time the commu- each community has had to mature, and the NFT craze really didn't help this space at all. Uh, of course, like FTX mm. and all the centralized scammers, that didn't, uh, that didn't help at all. Like that has set back, I would say, humanity, that set humanity back close to a decade uh, mm. or at least five years. Because so many mm. fantastic projects and so on, they, they're just not being able to fundraise and not go through because of the amount of scams created a loss in momentum that we had really, really strong momentum. Now, mm. We can talk about the fundamentals later on, like the battle is not lost. We just lost a few years, uh, but the direction is inevitable uh, because of, well, multiple trends, if nothing else, because multiple people coming together for an organization, well, they're going to want to come together to get benefits. And if there is a better alternative, they're going to go to a better alternative. So now the cat is out of the bag with DAOs Mm -hmm. uh, and is not going back into the bag, even though DAOs at the moment are terribly dysfunctional. People are still flocking to DAOs, even though they are like yeah. embryonic, right? So, um, but that uh, that being said, folks tend to to fall into oh, it kind of sounds interesting, but I'm not an expert. Essentially, there is such a big gap to onboarding, and mm. the, the jargon and just like the social gap is so big, there is such a huge barrier in between the communities. They're not connected. Mm. At at all uh like i feel mm. that the work we're doing at arendao is very much an exception to the to the norm in this space mm. and we actually did some research with these with the, the folks from um what was it um anyway i, I forgot their i forgot their name we will come back but talent DAO? i know talent DAO is another big one in this space yeah exactly talent DAO is also trying to bridge it but no no it was uh noble uh, Noble, who are building some organization mapping stuff, and they come a lot from the self-managed world, which is a pocket that most people in DAOs don't even know it exists. But it's the whole holocracy, sociocracy, teal, reinventing organizations, Frederic Lalou, uh, and these pockets is a whole bunch of like very progressive management folks or people thinking about how we can run organizations better that have been doing it for decades. And, and most people in the DAO world have no idea that these guys exist. So when these guys started to hear, like the progressive organization, self-management folks started to hear about DAOs, they were like, oh, but a lot of the problems you have in DAOs, we already know how to solve. Why is <laughs> no one giving us loads of money? Why, is mm. no, why are we not in the cover of all of these magazines? Uh, yeah. And we just kind of felt resentful uh, about it. <laughs> um, and, and so we tried to like understand why they were not communicating. And they were like, 
just kind of like, I don't know if you had that experience with Clubhouse. I have an Android, so I couldn't use Clubhouse until like very long time after. And by the time I could use it, I was like, I don't like you guys. I'm going to use Twitter because <laughs> you excluded me. So I think they have a little yeah. bit of that attitude. And then on the other side, even those that want is not easy to find jobs in DAOs. I really struggled like around 2018 and so on because I'm not a developer. I really wanted to be part of this space. It was kind of like, oh my God, this is amazing. I had the very in-depth, deep conversations with people who were thinking about this technology and future of organization. They're like, cool, can you code it now? And I was like, no. And they were like, oh, okay, well, good luck, bye. And, <laughs> right? And, and, and so we created this culture that's so developer-centric. They... I yeah. think the L1s and L2s are so tremendously misguided in the way they are designing mm. incentives. They're thinking, if I attract a bunch of developers, my ecosystem is going to flourish. And guess what? Developers build great code. They don't build great businesses. If you want a sustainable, mm. flourishing ecosystem, you need loads of great businesses. You need loads of great projects. You need institutions, both cultural creation, a diversity of things. That's what creates resilience. Ecosystems are about diversity and resilience and multiple relationships. If you go, it's like, oh, you know what? Let me create a really sustainable ecosystem in the Sahara Desert. You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to get all the zebras and nothing but zebras. <laughs> if all the grass, then they're going to get overpopulated and die. And that's kind of what happens with developers is we gave only incentive to developers. We got all the developers and a whole bunch of businesses that have no product market fit, no business model, no user research, very idealistic, super smart developers like top-class developers, some of the most amazing thinkers that we, we have that are also very multidisciplinary, but they're not psychologists, yeah. they're not political scientists, they're not economists, they're not marketeers, they're not user researchers, right? So it's kind of like these very misguided incentives that have created a very insular culture uh, that also yeah. because of the idea that DAOs are the leading edge, people are like, oh, I, we need to learn by being part of it. And reading or studying other sources of knowledge is not that valuable. That we actually found this through user research, speaking with many mm. folks that were like, uh, "Do you look into other sources? Why not?" And so on. And and so it's this unfortunate thing that is creating huge separation between the communities. That being said, academics get interested into it, and at first they were very resistant. They were like, "Oh, it's not that innovative." Nya nya nya. And over <laughs> time, they're kind of like. Yeah, it's not necessarily like it's not going to change management theory. Maybe a little bit. Okay, maybe a bit. Um, <laughs> but, but then they're like, oh, but actually there is really cool stuff happening and very cool experimentation. And now I have. Yeah. A, yeah. Go, go. You know, to, to, to me, what, you know, one, one way of looking at what we're building in the world of DAOs, most of us are building in the world of DAOs, all the technologists and, and developers, we are building a new technology substrate that makes it possible to organize people and run organizations in a bunch of different ways that were never possible before. And now we need the people who actually need to run or manage organizations to learn about this new substrate and say, oh, now that it's possible to do X, Y, and Z in addition to A, B, and C that we've been doing for hundreds or thousands of years, let's see how we can mix in a little bit of X, Y, and Z with the stuff we've always done to form you know, more effective organizations effectively, right? Um, and I think that's, it's probably a more accurate way to look at what most of us in Web3 are doing in the world of DAOs is we're just working on the substrate 
but we need people to come and actually figure out what to do with that substrate. So um, I, I really like where you're coming from. So let's move to the next news article. Um, but I love that we're actually digging into these issues um, because it's, it's helpful when we dig into them as they relate to things that are actually going on. Um, the next article is from Cointelegraph. And the headline is, Azuki Dow proposes to recover 20,000 ETH from Azuki founder Zagabond. Members of the DAO claim to be a dedicated group of Azuki enthusiasts. It's the latest wrinkle following the launch of the controversial Elements NFT collection. So what happened here was someone launched an NFT collection, and I think it just went really badly. It was just really terrible, or people didn't get that what they were expecting. Um, and they've decided they want to come together and organize and sue the founder. Um, what this brings up for me is a couple things. First of all, probably a good use case for a DAO is, is situations where a group of people feels wrong and wants to come together and challenge the situation, right? For example, it could be like labor unions, could be, um, you know, uh, something smaller or a little bit bigger than labor unions. Maybe it's a community of people who lives on an island that wants to challenge something that someone's doing on their island. Um, whatever it is, I think it's actually a good use case for a DAO and, and maybe one where even democ just direct democracy could be good enough to say, look, let's just vote on like we want to initiate a lawsuit. Um, uh, that said, I think the other complexity of the situation is that anyone looking at it from the outside doesn't really know what to make of it because it's not clear, like, who are these people that started this DAO? Are they really genuine you know, users, customers of the project that feel wronged? Or maybe it's just a group of uh, of, of mercenaries coming together to leverage the concept of a DAO to try to make 20,000 ETH or, you know, millions of dollars. Um, I think what this leads me to is one thing that's really important for DAOs, as it is, I think, for all organizations, is to have some kind of document or maybe there's something that can be an equivalent to a document, but something like a constitution or in the case of legal entities, like we work with all the time at MyDAO, it's an operating agreement or bylaws or something that outlines, here's how this organization works. Here's who the members are. Even if all it says is the members are all of the people who hold the Azuki token, right? And even if it says, you know, the way disputes should be resolved is X, Y, Z. If you if they if this organization had either of these things, it'd be easy to look at it and say, oh, like their constitution says these are the members, but the people suing the founder aren't those people. Right. Or these people are suing the founder when they all agreed that they would go through arbitration if there's a dispute. So, you know, that's the big takeaway for me here is just the importance of having something like a, a constitution or some other kind of policies or values or founding document. Um, do you agree with that assessment? Is that always something DAO should have? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it you know, it's hard to know what happened in this in this case. I'm not familiar with uh, Asuki Dao, and obviously, this has a lot to do with internal politics. But but it's really surprising the the level of trust that people have speculating into a thing or putting their money into a thing without any understanding whatsoever of how it is actually being governed. And, and even like now that we have so much technology where you can actually be given the, the ability to directly execute or not transactions. And instead of that, we keep on trusting so many multisigs with millions of dollars on blind faith alone, especially when they're anons and so on. It's kind of crazy to me. And is why are we not looking at the basics of like, as you're saying, let's define 
who's a member, who's not, how are decisions going to be made? And we're probably lacking a series of open source templates, or I know back in the day there had been a, Aragon had given a grant to a Chinese group to create an academy and then they ran away with the money and never delivered. And then Aragon gave up on the idea of funding education, which for me is really a shame. Um, and I and I still not seeing an appetite across other ecosystems or other organizations with big treasuries to fund more education into the basics and is we really require to upskill a lot of people because so many are starting this organization is just so complex like is even when you're building a company when you're if you're trying to be an entrepreneur in web2 despite the decades of refinement of the model, despite the millions of videos in YouTube, it's really hard. Like running a mm -hmm. company is really, really hard. So we have this naivety that people can start a DAO without knowing anything about business, anything mm -hmm. about running an organization and do it well. We, we're only starting to get now uh, more seasoned DAO professionals who kind of know what they're doing because they've been they've done it once or twice. But we need to democratize this and spread this knowledge and help people give roadmaps and blueprints and, and I'm not seeing nowhere enough of this happening. We, we, we were at the very beginning, we were doing a little bit of consulting in Arendelle. We stopped doing it to focus more on building our own projects. Now we are kind of giving up, uh, giving into it and, and again, starting to do a little bit of mm. consulting because we just keep on hearing about great projects that are trying to build stuff that will have massive positive impact that have the funds. They just don't have the knowledge and they're coming and they were yep. coming to us. Can you help us? And we're saying no because we're only focused on building collaboration technology. So we're not going to include them as part of R&DAO, but we can at least pass some of the research and the knowledge. And so we're starting to do these. And I mean, if anyone wants to start more DAO education initiatives, come to us. We'll be happy to partner. We'll be happy to build a project together with you because I think there is a gigantic need to do this and teach people how to do some basics, like an operating agreement and a constitution and yep. for both contributors and founders alike. Yep. Love it. So the next article is related, and this is a project that almost everyone, if not everyone in Web3 has heard of, which is Rocket Pool. There's a little bit of controversy here. Um, there's a, a tweet uh, from Chris Bleck, uh, it's Chris and then B-L-E-C, says, GM, Rocket Pool is full of centralization issues. Most RETH holders have no idea. The PDAO, which is, I think, their DAO, is not a DAO. The name is a straight up lie. It's actually an EOA. So here's the amazing thing about this story. So first of all, if anyone doesn't know what an EOA is, it stands for externally owned account. That's like a regular blockchain wallet, like MetaMask or Trust Wallet, like whatever any person could use as, as a wallet. And if this person is right, and they did cite a couple of sources from within the organization, not only is the whole Rocket Pool community trusting, like they're not just trusting like a multi-sig, like a group of like five of nine voters or uh, three of five voters, they're trusting one person or even possibly multiple people who each have the key sitting on a computer or a hard drive somewhere that can change anything about Rocket Pool and spend all the money, do whatever they want. Um, so the worst part of this is that it's an EOA. Um, it would be bad enough if it, if it was a multi-sig. But to me, like the lesson here, again, is it's really important for all of us getting involved in DAOs to understand what is this doubt? Like, what are the, like the core questions? Like, what document? Because there should be a document again, whether it's for a legal entity or otherwise. What document forms the basis of like describing what this organization is, the agreement between the people who are involved, 
right? And 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 like you've got to see that. You know, it's almost like someone becoming an employee of a company without seeing an employment agreement or even a company hiring a contributor without having them sign an independent contractor agreement. Like we all know, I think, in, in the regular world that you don't do those things, but somehow in the world of DAOs and Web3, I think we often give people a free pass and, and don't even do that basic level of research. Um, so, you know, I, again, I don't know the level of veracity of all of this. It does look like it's, it's probably true. Um, and either way, I think, again, the lesson is, for one thing, understand the DAO you're getting involved with. And actually, I'll add one more thing, which is just that a lot of DAOs really are not as decentralized as you think, at least in the sense that there is a multi-sig, right? Like any DAO that is a foundation, for example, has a board. And that board, at least legally, which is important, has the right to act on behalf of the organization, even without running a decision by the members. Like we saw that with Arbitrum, right? Like Arbitrum launched their token. The next day there was a proposal. Uh, everyone voted against the proposal. And then the board said, oh, actually, we're doing this whether you vote for it or not. And it caused <laughs> all this uproar. And eventually, I think they didn't do it exactly. But, um, you know, so many Web3 organizations are not really as democratic as they say they are. And I think that's one thing people should really look into. Like, is it a foundation? Is it a corporation? Or is it fully decentralized? You know, for example, you know, we offer a DAO LLC that allows a, a DAO to form a legal entity and actually remain decentralized to whatever extent they want. Or some DAOs don't even need a legal entity. But if you're calling yourself a DAO and you have a board, um, I think you at least have an obligation to tell people involved about it. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, I, I would hope that DAOs could really improve upon this. Um, in theory, they do. In practice, it's not happening because the majority of DAOs are not DAOs. Not even, I mean, like the majority are not even organizations. They're very chaotic and more like a couple of, more like small kingdoms with a couple of di dictators mm. at the top. Um, and if we really follow the, the path, because this, like the one bit I would disagree with you is that in traditional organizations like Web2 and so on, this issue still happens. People join a company and then, a month later, the founders are like, sorry, guys, we ran out of money. Now we're mm. bankrupt, so we're not even paying you. Like, this happens on a regular basis. And, and so if we could actually, like, enforce this transparency, like, there, there was uh, Jesse Walden from Variant Fund was posting about that maybe we shouldn't be banging so much about decentralization and regulatory policy because it's not the right approach. And my, my commentary was, like, what is not decentralization per se which is this nebulous concept and it's kind of like not centralization but it's not very clear what it is but if I, i'm like if we can enforce transparency and multi-stakeholder governance then we can those are really powerful guardrails so that then we can allow organizations to sell tokens with a lot less protection than Ooh. we currently have more freely more liquidly and this can empower people to also contribute more for tokens which reduces their reliance on capital. So all of those underserved communities in regions that traditionally, like right now, if you don't know investors, you're not allowed to post on Twitter, please introduce me to investors. This is illegal. That's crazy, right? Like we're enforcing people into poverty to stay in poverty. And unless you already have a bunch of friends who are investors, how the hell are you going to get access to capital? But mm -hmm. on the other hand, if these communities can coordinate mint tokens, distribute those tokens for everyone who contributed, and then start to sell those tokens quickly, like fast mm -hmm. enough if they're creating value, we empower billions of people to improve their livelihood. Like we unlock 
massive amount of human potential, massive amount of innovation. And, but this requires transparency. And, and, mm -hmm. and we are getting that in Web3, despite the fact that we could mm -hmm. get it. Um, yeah. And so it comes on, on one side through, mm -hmm. well, there is some issues with the technology. Like if you actually adopt a proper DAO stack, like governor, you, you fork governor Bravo or one of those things is you're still paying fees on chain and that's been expensive. So now that we start to have more scalability and L2s and something, it becomes more viable, but there is still more work to be done there. Um, and because of this gap, unfortunately, we let the multisigs become the de facto thing. But if you mm -hmm. run an organization, you should be allowed, it should be the norm, as you're saying, like ask, can I get the address of the multisig or at least of the treasury? Right. Show me the contract, show me a thing. And we're uh, one of our projects is creating an AI tool that allows to read a smart contract that you just pointed at the smart mm. contract and translated into human readable language. So you could use these use our tool to be like, tell me how decisions are made in this DAO and this is the smart mm. contract. They cannot point you to a smart contract and then you can verify yourself that this is legit well, what are they hiding? And shouldn't you even be yeah. joining? Don't, don't, yeah. don't take unnecessary risk. Yeah, and take, I just want to take one step back to what you brought up about the radical, innovative uh, capacity of, of this, of, of allowing people to raise money much more easily and with fewer regulations that they have to follow because DAOs can be so transparent. I, I think another amazing use case for that is effectively charities or nonprofits that can also sell something like equity, which is their governance rights to raise money, right? Traditionally, nonprofits all over the world, the only way they raise money is through donations or they can sell their service as well, right? And the people who donate money, they don't get anything in return. Maybe if you're one of the biggest donors, you get a board seat. But now with DAOs and tokens, you can have a nonprofit organization that gives tokens to its members, its contributors, even its, you could have investors. And then again, sells tokens out to the community and says, hey, if you want to be a part of this, if you want to have some governance rights, buy this token. And now for the first time in history, a nonprofit can raise money the way traditionally only for-profits could. And to me, that's another thing that could be so radically transformative that suddenly you have nonprofits with market caps. And, you know, therefore can raise money the way for-profit companies can. And it could just have such a huge impact. So I just want to second the, the, the point that even just the transparency that DAOs make possible could be radically transformative. Even if people want to run their DAO just like a traditional corporation, or maybe a better way to put it is put your corporation on chain. You still get value out of this, right? If you want to be a corporation, fine. You know, you want to have a board, fine. You want to have shareholders, fine. Still come use our technology that we're building in the world of DAOs. So you can be more transparent, you can guarantee compliance with certain rules by putting them into your smart contracts. And, and still, I think there's a lot of value there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like sometimes it's because the whole decentralization, web-free autonomy has been pushed so much from an ideological perspective. And that was very needed. And I, I actually appreciate it that this space is so idealistic in many ways and visionary. Mm -hmm. uh, but the downside of that is that people who don't quite get the values, they are like, well, why would I do that? And, and, and so the whole idealism can sometimes hide that underneath there are very pragmatic reasons, like economic financial reasons for which, you know, going back to the, I guess the topic that we were heading towards is that there is these very strong reasons why new ways of organizing are taking over and are, ga are gaining traction. And is that they can also make financial benefit 
because one of the biggest problems in the world is disengagement, is the fact that people are looking through the window instead of doing their work because they don't mm. care. They feel like mm. a cog in the machine. It, they don't feel engaged. They don't feel motivated. Bonuses, they motivate you for a very short period of time. Then suddenly you stop caring. If you're a high-skill contributor, high-value contributor, above 150000 research has proven time and again that above $150,000, money doesn't make a difference. So whether you get a bonus of $20,000 or $30,000 or $40,000, you're like, mm. yeah, whatever. It, it starts, it makes an impact for a very short duration of time, and then you need a new, bigger bonus, or it does nothing for motivation. This has been like proven time and again. So... We, we need to engage people with meaning. We need to engage people with yeah. autonomy. And, and transparency is fundamental to enable those kind of things to happen. If people feel out of the clique, out of context, if they feel they're being excluded of the information, if they feel other people are privileged, like access to information is a tremendous source of power. You want to empower your people, well, give them access to information. Otherwise, you're purposely keeping them in the dark. You're disempowering them. And that affects their motivation, that affects their performance, that affects churn, turnover. They will take more sick days. They will look out of the window. Like Gallup values this problem at $7.8 trillion per year, like almost $8 trillion per year that we're losing to employee disengagement, essentially because people are not doing the work because they don't care. And why would they care? When you put them in situations like that, where you're not even giving them the information about how things are going, how the organization they depend on for their livelihood, if they cannot even have a reassurance about that, why would they care? Yeah, and, and I agree. There's such a huge opportunity to give people more ownership or something like ownership mm -hmm. in so many aspects of their lives, right? Whether it's local organizations, the local park, the local garden, other shared resources where instead of just being an occasional user, you own a small amount of that local park, right? And you have some feeling of, of like, I'm part of the world instead of just, I use the world. And, and I want to just mention the last news story of the day, and we'll tie it back to this, is a tweet um, from uh, Sydney. It goes by 0x Sydney. And this is actually a tweet thread about ApeCoin DAO, which is a relatively new DAO that's very, very interesting. Um, and I just want to uh, talk about the first thing she brings up, which is voter apathy. So she says, for the most recent special council election, 20 million votes were cast. ApeCoin has a circulating supply of 369 million. That's a participation rate of 6.7%. And non-election participation rate averages 1% to 2%. Now, I'm going to argue that that doesn't matter. And I'm going to argue that for a couple of reasons, right? First of all, let's say we all, everyone on the island I live on, right, has some tokens in the local park. And someone proposes, hey, I want to install like another slide for the kids in the local park. Now, if 98% of the people who have those tokens just don't give a shit about whether there's another slide in the park or not, why should they have to vote? That's fine. Like, let the people who either care a lot about whether there's more slides in the park or know a lot about slides or have really strong feelings about the aesthetic, like, let them vote. And actually, that, like, that's the optimal scenario is that most people didn't vote. Um, and I think the same thing goes for other types of organizations in a lot of regards. If someone either doesn't have the information they need to make an informed decision or just doesn't care about the outcome, let the people who have the information and do care about the outcome do the voting. So I, I hear a lot of people actually even use voter apathy, quote unquote, voter apathy in DAOs as an argument for why DAOs are failing. And I think that's just absolutely crazy. I mean, I, I can see why you want to keep your 
governors or you're the people who are governing your organization or part of your organization engaged, right? To your prior point, engagement in general does matter, but I don't think the percentage of people who vote is a, is, should be a direct um, a measure of, of a DAO's success. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think we, we're very often taking it a bit too simplistically, like especially when that's the argument for how DAOs have failed, it's like, whoa, 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 let, let, let's look under the hood, let's see what actually is happening. So as you were saying, like context is super important, like, and, and we're talking about transparency and so on, at least, like if people don't have access to information or all the information is happening in private meetings be, be, of a small group of people, and we did uh, a big research piece on the challenges of decision-making in DAOs. And what we are seeing is that there is a lot of DAOs that even they have a system for decentralized decision-making, but they're not using it as he was intended. Mm. They're doing decisions behind closed doors. Mm. And the reason for that is that putting something in the early stages out there is kind of scary. And if the first few comments that you get is negative, that kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and the whole thing can go down. Also, Debating online is very hard. So we get into arguments, into conflicts. We don't know mm. how to handle that effectively. Uh, forums are terrible UX for constructive conversations. Mm. You end up with like an endless thread of messages and who wants to read that. And you need so much context to be able to participate in these decisions, especially if you're making like operational decisions and so on, that you're like, well, you know, should should we have an extra swing or not? Well, I don't know. How many kids live by? What's the utilization of swings? Mm -hmm. Like, I have no idea about any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So is is not to say that, like, yes, with the direct democracy model, like, is not an ideal model of governance. That's for sure. And we can do a lot better. And we were talking about that before. But the the key is more, well, first, is the organization progressing? And if he's advancing or something, that's that's a good start. It's still alive. You know, million things to improve, but we live in an imperfect world. So obviously, if, if they take that as an argument to say we, we're happy, we're not going to continue investing in organization development and governance development, well, they're going to die. But if they continue, that's okay. It's just a phase in the evolution of the thing. Not necessarily the best start or something, but it's a good start. They're, they're underway. Like, these things is hard. Let's be a little bit. Let's applaud each other a bit, right? Then... Yeah. Um, one thing that we're trying to do for the context is with uh, Together Crew or Community Analytics Platform, because we have, uh, we're gathering so much data of the interactions between people, we're now creating a bot that you can use to query that, that data, to essentially ask the, the sort of hive mind, ask the collective knowledge of the communities, like, hey, what do we think about this? Or what a uh, recent example is we, we're working with a Neo4j database for some stuff, and uh, we're testing what is the Neo4j database used for, and it can tell you, well, this contributor said that it was done for this, and this other one for this stuff. So it can summarize information and provide context on demand. And as a, as a feature for us, it's just like a small part of this product, but for me, it heralds the beginning of something that could be a gigantic transformation. Uh, because really, when you don't have the context, you don't participate, you don't vote, you don't even know mm. if you should care or not. And if we can use AI to provide context on demand, we can really, really change um, wow. governance. We can really change how organizations have worked up to date. And this is a new frontier, like not something that was possible ever before. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing and, and is... Yeah, go ahead. 
just gonna say, I mean, it almost certainly seems possible now with with what we're seeing with AI, and I, I think it's that's such a great example of a use case for for AI in DAOs and probably any type of organization is to go from like a knowledge base that maybe people are updating it, but probably not. And in the case of DAOs, I don't even see a lot of knowledge bases uh, in the first place to be able to ask a bot or have a bot just you know watching what you're reading and and making suggestions for you, so you do understand the context. Context as a service, context, I forget what you called it, but um, that, yeah, that sounds incredibly valuable. And I think it's a great example of combining AI and DAOs um, to build something that should be really helpful. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, hopefully we'll, we'll have it live in a, in a couple of weeks. Now we're starting to, to work on the integration. It was a hackathon project for us, but uh, built with some of our, we have a machine learning expert team and a decision-making team and blockchain wow. team and so on. So these folks just kind of came together with the idea and hopefully it's live uh, and we'll be putting it. Uh, also, actually, we're uh, in the final steps of a grant proposal with Optimism to use the same system as well to detect violations to their code of conduct. Mm -hmm. uh, so when people are talking aggressively or something like that, this is an incredibly neutral system that can say you're breaking or, or bylaws, you're breaking or agreements. Uh, and then you can take action, like bring a moderator or bring a human to help facilitate and mediate the conflict or issue a warning or potentially even send a message to the people of saying like uh, a private message like, hey, we there is a risk that this message is perceived as violent. How about you word it in this way that is talking a lot more about your needs using nonviolent mm -hmm. communication techniques? And then, well, the person will decide whether they use it or they continue talking like an asshole. But yeah. uh, <laughs> it'll help sometimes. Because, yeah, right. Because a lot of times yeah. you just don't realize that you're doing it. Yeah. Like I, I end up in that situation as well. Um, but I wanted to bring just uh, another point that for me is the the negative is is the economics of a voter. Uh, that when we have a lot of voter apathy, is that if you have a million worth a million dollars worth of tokens. And, the, and there is a decision that is going to impact the future of the project. Let's say it's going to make it 5% more valuable or less percent less valuable. If you have a, a million tokens, well, that's a lot of money, right? 5% of a million will, will pay enough that you can almost hire a person to research the thing, to keep up, to make you a presentation and help you decide. If you have $10 worth of tokens, 5% pays nothing right like if you maybe if you live in rural rural mongolia it can make a difference for you but otherwise mm -hmm. if you live in one of the capitals of the world you cannot economically afford to engage in that decision it will be destructive for you financially speaking i mean you might do it because it's a non-profit and it's your hobby or you care whatever but but economically it's already non-viable so that's also like one of my my biggest arguments against this direct democracy is that making decisions is expensive. It is work. You're governing the organization. People usually get paid to do those type of things. So when you expect people to do it for free, well, many are not going to participate. And in many situations, that's fine. Like the decision that you were saying is relatively inconsequential. But then the, when you design the governance system, is sometimes you need to define a threshold. And if that threshold is too high, it becomes very hard to pass decisions. Uniswap had this problem for, for a while, potentially still today, is that only very few people have the influence and, to and enough tokens to rally enough support to meet the threshold and pass a proposal. Hmm. And in the case of Uniswap, that might be okay, but for many DAOs, that would mean death. Uh, 
Uh, and if you put it too low, you become susceptible to attacks and governance attacks. So the voter apathy is a big problem of that. And, and there are other ways we could segment these to avoid the problem, like sortition would completely bypass uh, a lot of these issues. Um, but in the meantime, we need to look at those economic voters and figure out, is are we actually leaving not only like a risk on the table for attacks, but on the other side, what would be the potential if all of those people had a meaningful, valuable way for them to contribute ideas, to contribute labor and improve the doubt, which probably more people voting on the same decision in very few cases is going to be more valuable. Uh, yeah, and, and it sounds like that's where this AI tool comes into play too, right? Because it would be very hard. Let's say I'm part of 20 organizations in the future related to like the city I live in. There's gardens, parks, holiday parties, you know, what pol maybe policies for homeowners associations. If I'm going to be part of 20 times as, as many organizations in the future as I am today, which I do think is the future we're moving towards, I'm definitely going to need AI and other systems to help me vote, help me contribute to the decision-making and the governance for all these organizations. Um, so it sounds like that's a, something we absolutely need. So I, with the rest of our time, I want to dig into a couple things in a little more detail. Um, the first will be uh, what we started talking a little bit about, which is like, how are DAOs doing and, and why are you still so confident in um, the positive impact that they will have? And then let's dig a little bit more into RNDAO and the work you do there and how people can get involved and that kind of thing. So, you know, first of all, you know, again, going back to that, the question of, yeah, I mean, how are DAOs going from your perspective? And I ask partly because I do see some negative, I don't want to say negative, critical statements made. It's hard to tell if it's just like 1% of people or like 10 or 20% of people, but you see comments out there from people that are very smart and, and sometimes, you know, very influential saying like DAOs are failing, DAOs are not working, all the DAOs are breaking, you know, things like that. Um, and again, I don't believe that, although I think there's good reasons why they are saying those things. Um, but, but what do you think about that? How are DAOs doing and, and why are you still so optimistic? Yeah, so one thing is I, I tend to see it a little bit by the, the social movements of the tribes that have come in contact and somewhat join DAOs or engage with DAOs. So at the beginning, you have a tiny group of developers that's very visionary. Then as the thing progress and it becomes kind of like a pop movement, you have this huge wave of people that come to it. And it's really important to understand these are many of them were coming for the crypto hype but they could have ended up just in pure NFTs, in pure DeFi. Why DAOs? And then it's an important question is, how mm -hmm. come we end up having like thousands, hundreds of thousands of people joining these Discord servers that have terrible UX? Like it's not, right? It's not you stumble across the street in it. You need to go and look for it. You need to go and read a whole bunch of documents. Why, are, why were humans doing that to begin with? Mm -hmm. and, and so that brings me to a first fundamental that is the that traditional work sucks. Like the <laughs> yeah. statistics, yeah. like 78% of entrepreneurs report mental health issues. Like essentially, if you're not, if you're sane, if you're not like depressed and losing your hair out of anxiety and unable to have relationships and sexually dysfunctional because of the stress and the sleepless nights, well, you're the exception among the entrepreneurs and right like these are not like pretty glamorous problems this is life these are people being miserable 
and being unable to function well because the structure of the way they're working is toxic. It's really, really toxic. And yes, there is the chance that you might become a multimillionaire. And we hear the stories of the multimillionaires, but we know that for every multimillionaire, there is a whole bunch of other people who end up half broke after <laughs> living in their parents' basement uh, with no money and a lot of health issues and having, you know, pushed themselves to the limit and failed. That's not a nice place to be. That's not a good way. And then there is the corporate worker who's trapped because they make a good living, but they keep on looking through the window. And that is this $7.8 trillion per year waste in productivity plus the amount of human potential. And meanwhile, you know, the world is on fire. We have climate change, poverty, corruption, like a million different issues that we could be solving and making our lives better. And instead of that, these people are trapped in jobs they hate and for which they do the minimum. So the traditional work is broken and that's bringing people here. Now, I guess the difference in between a lot of those people that were coming here and discovering these for the, for the first time and a few others who are a little bit more in, in my position who I have spent now about a decade engaging and thinking about new ways of working is that I, I gone through many disappointments. Like I trained in self-management. I went down the system thinking cybernetics rabbit hole. Every time I got illusion and then kind of disillusioned when I was seeing that it was hard and that adoption and convincing other people to try it wasn't easy. So by the time I got to DAOs and, and now I'm like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in this in the long term. This is a marathon. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for a bunch of setbacks. And, mm -hmm. and I know this is not an easy problem. But a lot of people who came, that's not the narrative they were sold to. And mm -hmm. they didn't know better. They didn't have the experience. So there was a lot of illusion, a lot of hope, a lot of excitement, like a lot of hype. It's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. We're going to change the world. And then, bam, reality hits them in the face is that human collaboration, it's fucking hard. It's complicated. <laughs> And yeah. there are bad actors and there is egos and there is like game theoretical problems that at scale become really hard to solve. So this is not easy. And the disappointment has been massive and rightfully so. And people are pissed off. They were sold that they were all going to become mil millionaires and, you know, whack me. We're all going to make it. If that doesn't happen within the first year and if you're the one who gave, because a lot of trading is zero sum. So if you're buying things like someone else is selling. So. A lot of people made a, a lot, a few people made a lot of money, a lot of people didn't. Um, and that resentment is very understandable. Now, actual DAOs themselves, well, we have suffered tremendously through FTX and all of those uh, terrible things that happened. Uh, and we need to become a lot better policing the industry because there is a lot, still a lot of scammers, a lot of uh, snake whisperers out there making money. And we need to really root them out because they're destroying the work that we're doing. Mm. They're fucking us all. So that's one thing. Uh, but if you look at the evolution of DAOs themselves, they're still evolving like 10 times faster than any corporation out there, than any of the other space. So the rate of experimentation, the rate of learning is extraordinary. And if you go down and meet the really geeky folks, they're here for the long term. They're building fundamental infrastructure. And there is really key pieces that are now coming into play related to uh, decentralized identity, verifiable credentials. Mm -hmm. All of these is a, is a fundamental piece that allows us to now build more advanced governance that is not only based on token holding, because mm -hmm. when, when, when there is no civil resistance, when you don't know if one person is one person or 10 yeah. accounts are the same person behind, well, a good way to govern is then free tokens. But 
that was the, the earlier generations. Now we can build on top and there is a lot of unlocks coming into place. I mean, you can probably talk about the regulatory front. I will actually love to hear sure. a little bit more your, your thoughts on that because it has been a gigantic barrier, but it's also rapidly evolving. Yeah, it's a great point. So, I mean, I think, you know, what is most exciting to many of us in the DAO space is the technology, right? Because that's where the technologists and everyone can see we're making things possible that were never possible before. Even if it takes humanity a long time, humans a long time to change our behavior, it's now possible to do things differently. And it's increasingly will be with the things um, like what you're talking about that are being developed now, like DID. Um, yeah, from a legal and regulatory perspective, absolutely. So, you know, if folks don't know what we've done in the Marshall Islands is we've helped their government pass new laws and regulations that try to create the best legal and regulatory framework in the world for DAOs and Web3 projects in general. And it doesn't stop with one or two laws, which, by the way, it's hard to even draft and get one or two laws approved. But um, every few months, um, we're going to continue proposing new legislation, new regulations that address all of the challenges that DAOs and Web3 projects have integrating into the legal system as it exists today. Um, a lot of it has to do with people who might otherwise want to you know, create a legal entity or form some kind of legal structure in the United States, but are afraid of what the federal government might do or already not happy with the rules and regulations that the U.S. has come out with. And so they're looking elsewhere in the world. Uh, folks who are elsewhere in the world may already be used to, um, you know, looking around and considering the different options, whether it's Cayman Islands or Switzerland or British Virgin Islands. And now we're bringing the Marshall Islands to the table. And so, you know, an example of what our legislation allows a DAO to do is to create a legal entity so that it gets the protection of any legal entity so that members of the DAO are not held personally liable for the activities of the DAO and the other members. It allows the DAO to do things like sign contracts, make investments, own property, whether it's intellectual property or real estate. And then finally, it allows the DAO to, if it's a nonprofit, not pay taxes and not have the members pay taxes, or if it's a for-profit, to pay taxes so that the members don't have to pay taxes for the DAO's activity, just like in a corporation. So it allows DAOs to do all of those things without having to have a board or shareholders, right? And being allowed to use tokens to track membership without tracking the real names and physical addresses of all the members without having to keep paper records of all your decisions. So all these things that DAOs would never want to do, they have to do with most legal entities and most legal structures around the world. And that's what they don't have to do with, with what we're building and what we've built. Um, so that, that's the legal and regulatory um, kind of uh, uh, side of things. Um, so combine the technology with the legal and regulatory with all the interpersonal stuff, which it sounds like might be the most important thing since what we're talking about is human organization, right? Organizations of human beings. And, and then I think we get to get to a pretty good place. Um, so, and, and speaking of which, I mean, do you want to talk a little bit more about RN DAO and, you know, what, what your mission is and the type of work that you guys are doing? You've already mentioned a, a few projects, but maybe there's more you want to talk about too. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, so for, for us, the, what guide us quite a bit was seeing how, how there was so much fragmentation in this space. And, and we we're talking a little bit about this before with what the coordinated folks are doing and so on. But is that if we follow the traditional incentives of the lone entrepreneur, we end up with all of those mental health issues, all the pressure that comes with it, but also very competitive invest, uh, incentives. VCs will are structuring such a way that they need you to get a billion dollar valuation, talk, talk, tackle a $10 billion market, 
and those are super competitive. But also they push you in a way that you're having to invent everything. So you're trying to invent all the components of a business model of a product and viable business model, which is really, really hard. And at the same time, you're having to invent a viable organization that can deliver that product, that can continue to evolve it and so on, because one cannot exist without the other. And that's a tremendous amount of work. So you end up overworked, quite stressed, a little bit lonely, and so on. And, and so in we say it takes a village to build a startup. But usually what happens is there is a lot of people who they'll give you advice, they will have one call with you, but if you're like, oh, okay, cool, thank you, thanks for that piece of advice. Now I implement it, I refine my pitch deck, or I change this in my value proposition, or I change this thing in this feature. Hey, can we have another one-hour call to talk about it? And you're like, um, I mean, it's the second time you asked me. This is getting a okay, fine, <laughs> maybe. Then, if they need to ask me a third time, I'm like, sorry, mate, I'm too busy. Like, or pay me a consulting fee or something. And you're like, oh, but I'm a poor entrepreneur. I don't know how. To pay you, well, good luck. You're on your own. Uh, good luck designing your governance. Good luck figuring out how to build a community and reward your team and all of that without ending up in the Web2 trap and going backwards mm -hmm. and all the issues that that creates. Um, so we have these incentives that force the every startup to reinvent the wheel. And with Web3, we really talk about the whole modularity and composability, like the Lego building blocks that can piece onto each other. And that's a beautiful vision but in practice, it's not happening nowhere enough because the incentives are not there. You have incentives to compete, to try to expand, to capture market. You don't have enough trust. You don't have enough time to think how you can work with other teams and so on. So that's created a lot of fragmentation, which also means that the talent is divided and means that every organization really struggles to amass enough resources, enough talent, enough knowledge, enough insights to build something really significant. And meanwhile, there is the Microsofts of this world that are making a lot of progress. So mm. unless we can really band up together a lot more and collaborate a lot more, I don't think we stand a chance mm. against Microsoft, Meta, and Google trying to own the future. With the Metaverse, it was very clear that it was like Facebook versus the open source bottom-up world. And I'm kind of happy that the Metaverse didn't quite work out in the timeline because I think we're losing that fight. And the reason we're losing it is that it wasn't all of these small groups bottom up working together. It was no, it was a whole bunch of small groups working in isolation mm. with a little bit of exchange, a little bit of open source exchange, but not real deep collaboration. And for the real deep collaboration, we need a different set of incentives. So what we've been trying to do is create a community that can actually help that happen, not as a traditional incubator where you come on one end, three months later, you're on the other end, good luck and so on, and they put you a bit through a cookie cutter. There is some that are really good, but even the top ones, they put you a bit through this like assembly line, and some, sometimes the workshop that they're offering or something is not what you need at that point in time. And there is still not the incentive to collaborate that much with other people. You exchange information, but you don't build together. And that's a different thing. So instead of that, there is another pattern that's becoming more popular in the world, not only in Web3, but across that is the venture builder. That is when the entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur can partner with an organization that is structured in a way to systematically build businesses. Hmm. So you have someone who's an specialist in multiple of the things that you have to get really right on stage to validate part of the business and then move to the next stage. And you will realize that you find a lot more folks who can be really good at being CEO than folks that can be really good at being an all a jack of all trades founder. Hmm. So already talent-wise, you can have an advantage 
but also it can it means that you're from one venture to the next. So what we're doing is enabling cross ownership across the ventures so that the incentives are actually there for the projects to work together. So we have, mm -hmm. for example, uh, Meet with Wallet, which is a scheduling tool, a sort of Calendly. Now we're delivering a feature that you can type in Discord slash meet and tag a couple of people and it automatically puts in the calendar the next lot that the two of you are available mm -hmm. or the three or four of you. So it's all about reducing friction for scheduling which is important when you you're working across time zones, across organizations, and so on. So that's a small feature. Then together, Crude, as the community analytics one, we can know who's talking to each other in the organization and who's not talking. And if you have two people who are very influential in separate pockets, but they're not talking with each other, there is probably going to be some miscommunication, misalignment, Ooh. and so on. So we can now combine these two things so that actually together crew suggests if these two people talk with each other, the social network is going to bridge together. You're going to have a stronger community, better information flow, better alignment, essentially a better organization. And with Meet with Wallet, we can make that scheduling of the meeting seamless. So is these sort of collaborations across projects. There is another one that is a microflow and is a robotic process automation. So sort of web-free Zapier, you can pro program and automate workflows. Hmm. And we're collaborating with Otterspace for badges and verifiable credentials. And one of the issues they had is sometimes people get a credential and then they leave the organization and they stop participating and they still get all the access and so on. Is it right that they keep getting all the access or voting rights or something if they're not even engaged, if they don't even have the context? Well, now we're using the same thing with together crude the data about who's engaged, who's participating, microflow as a connector so that to create this, uh, this integration. And if someone stops engaging in the community, the badge can become deactivated. And this is just an example of many things that we can wow. program. Uh, but right, is that collaboration in between the different ventures that are we're incubating within the community that can lead us to very different incentives. And together we can start to build uh, a more complete value proposition. Because when people go like, oh, I want to build a DAO, they're not asking you, how do I do reputation? Or how do I issue a token? Or how do I do governance? They're asking you, how do I DAO? They need a more complete yeah. solution, right? Mm -hmm. it's, they need everything in a box. But if a single organization tries to build it, it's going to be mediocre and rigid in a whole bunch of fronts. It's going to be like mm -hmm. jack of all trades, master of none. Or thesis, it's instead that we can build it bottom up through modular teams, like autonomous teams, that collaborate because they're incentivized to do so through shared community, shared purpose, a little bit of shared ownership, but still everyone being autonomous and deciding on their own. And then collaborating together, we can create something that is more than the sum of the parts. So uh, modular and composable tools built by modular and composable teams. And for me, this wow. is more coherent that makes a lot more sense. Now, the, we titled our vision recently... Uh, too big a vision for only one of us because is the kind of thing that we're never going to be able to build alone. So mm -hmm. kind of like the, the shout out to the community is if this idea kind of inspires you, the fact that we can collaborate more, that we can work together and to, for doing that, grow the pie. So instead of not splitting the pie and be like, oh, don't get anything of my organization. It's like, let me give you a bit. Let me receive a bit. Let me give to the contributors a bit and incentivize bigger groups of people to coordinate well together while still having our own autonomy, and we can actually create something that really takes DAOs to that big vision, to that to live up to the expectations, 
we're not there yet, but we're doing the work and we can do it only succeed really if we do it together. So come speak with us. We're super happy to collaborate, to hear about you. If you're interested in collaboration technology, the future of work, that's our jam. Um, just give us a shout and hopefully we can actually bring this vision to reality. But as I'm saying, it's too big for only one of us. So let's do it yep. together. Even for one organization to do alone. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Awesome. Where can people find you and Arendao on the web or on social? Yeah, I mean, the easier, at least for now, is probably Twitter, just uh, at Arendao underscore underscore. Or if you go on Twitter, at underscore Daniel underscore Ospina, that's O-S-P-I-N-A, you'll find me. Um, or simply go to our website, is arendao.info, and you'll find us there. Once you find us in through one of those rabbit holes, you'll end up in our Discord and there just follow the instructions, verify, say hello. Uh, and either myself or someone from our team will be welcoming you into the community and we have weekly onboarding calls and so on. Uh, we're a fully transparent community as well. So if people want to check out what we're doing, we believe that we learn a lot through memetics, through emulating others. So when we, we set out to, or our mission is to empower humane collaboration, to really build better organizations and unlock this human potential. And we have we know that a lot of this happens through copying organizations that already exist. Uh, not You can give someone a tool, but they don't know how to use it until there is a series of organizations who have it in practice. So if you want to learn a little bit about how to DAO, join our community, check it out, see how we are doing meetings, see how we're restructuring. I mean, also contribute a little. We also need money and work and so on. Uh, but you're very welcome to do a, <clears throat> a small sort of internship with us, contribute to one of or two of the teams, and through helping us build it, you learn more. Yeah, and the links will be in the show notes, but just so <laughs> everyone knows, RNDAO is the letter R, the letter N, and then D-A-O, RNDAO. Um, yeah. Kind of like if anyone... research and development DAO, but Research R and development, DAO. yep, yeah. yep, that's awesome. And love, love for underscores, apparently. <laughs> well, we <laughs> about we we chose the name, and within the two weeks that it took us to register after choosing it, turns out that some organization in Japan that has nothing to do had taken the handle from us. They just oh, like wow. on us. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. So my DAO, uh, we couldn't get my DAO on Twitter, so we're my DAO DS M I D A O D S because someone has MyDAO and it's some Asian language. I didn't even put in the effort to try to figure out which one, but clearly has nothing to do with DAOs. It's like really, it's like anime or, you know, some kind of graphics, cartoon graphics. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, for the audience too, I just want to share, if you're not familiar, one of our new programs at MyDAO is our partner network of over 300 Web3 focused lawyers, tax advisors, other professional advisors. And there's no cost if anyone wants to reach out, we can get you connected with a person who's a really good fit for you. Of course, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at 0xthriller. MyDAO is at MyDAODS or at MyDAO.org. And uh, again, uh, Daniel, thank you so much for being on the show. You're, you're brilliant. You're a wealth of knowledge, and I really appreciate it. No, thank you. Thank you very much for having me and the great conversation. Uh, it was a pleasure about a year ago to be here. Really happy to have done it today again. Uh, yeah, we'll have to do it again yes. in a year if you're up for it. Yeah, very much so. Look forward to it.
All right. And as always, none of this has been legal or tax advice. I don't think we gave anything like tax advice anyways, but there's good reasons why everyone should have a, a lawyer for their project if they're able to afford it. And uh, we are not lawyers. Um, yeah. Last thing for the audience. Are you thinking about starting a DAO? Just DAO it.